Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Heidi Johnston is the author of Life in the Big Story, Your Place in God's Unfolding Plan, and most recently, Choosing Love in a Broken World, a book for teenage girls that attempts to tell the truth about relationships. She lives in Belfast, Northern Ireland, C.S. Lewis's hometown. Heidi is a delight and very wise. I think you're going to love hearing from her. Heidi Johnston, thank you so much for being on the Habit Podcast. Good to be here. I always love talking to you, and uh, I, I love your, your wisdom and your insight. Um, last time we talked, so we, we actually recorded an episode from my old homegrown podcast that uh, was not salvageable for the purpose of this new highly professional podcast produced by The Rabbit Room. And, uh, and so uh, I, I wanted to sort of re-talk to you again and get some of, some of your um, sort of salvage, uh, some of the things you had to say there. And at, last time we talked, it was October, and you had until December to finish uh, your most recent book, Choosing Love. Um, and... At the time, you at least you were struggling with procrastination. Did you make it? Did you that did you hit your deadline? Common, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I but... did make my deadline. Yes, I did. Um, I didn't do an awful lot else between uh, October and December, but I did make my deadline. So, uh, how did you overcome procrastination? Uh, well, I'm very much a pressure worker in every uh-huh. aspect of life. At uh-huh. school, I was the person that started studying two days before the exam and didn't sleep. Um, so I tend to think if I have a couple of weeks, then I have plenty of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I work under pressure generally. So yeah, that suited me. Well, I'm so glad that you that you overcame these procrastinatory tendencies of yours. Um, temporarily. Anyway. T- uh, it's only temporarily. Okay. Only so this, temporarily. <laughs> this was not a, a story of, of uh, victory for all time. This was just a, a, a one-off. No, I really wish it was. That would have been a good story. But yeah, it's definitely something I struggle with uh, <laughs> ongoing, particularly with writing, actually. But generally, yeah, I'm a terrible procrastinator. Yeah. Do you have any idea why? Um, I, I know. That I think with writing, it's because I work from home. Um, I think in some senses, writing is one of the hardest things I do from a discipline point of view. It's so much easier to put on a load of laundry or prepare the dinner or do something that I feel like I can do without having to face the possibility that I'll have nothing to say. So yeah, it's something right. that I'm working on. Yeah, you're probably not going to fail at doing another load of laundry. No, I'm I'm pretty good at that now. Yeah. And but you but you might fail at writing. It's it's painful. <laughs> yeah. I mean to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Um, and uh, so that's yeah, kind of fear. Uh, how do you how do you get over that? How do you get over fear? I don't even know if I know the answer to that. I guess you just have to sit down and get on with it. Um, one of my writing practices that I do is I generally read Doug McKelvey's liturgy for those fearing failure before I start writing. Oh wow! Um, to remind myself both that I'm not doing it myself. Um, well, to remind myself of that, but it sort of takes away the pride and the f- complete panic. Yeah. <laughs> Helps me get a bit of perspective on what it is I'm doing. Yeah. Tell me about that that liturgy. What do you remember from it? Um, it talks a lot about the fact that what you're doing is God sort of breathing life into the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
here I have it above my desk. Apart from the Spirit of God breathing life into your incomplete and sin-tainted efforts, apart from the Father blessing and multiplying your inadequate offerings, uh, no lasting benefit will come of your labor. So that's the sort of theme of it. And mm. I just find it so helpful before I write to remind myself of all those things. Yeah, that's great. And I know one thing we've, we've talked about before is um, struggling with kind of imposter syndrome. Yeah, definitely. I'm always waiting for Pete Peterson to discover I shouldn't be writing for the rabbit room. <laughs> Any day now, the email's coming. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, the good news is I don't think he listens to this podcast anyway, so I think you're safe okay. for, for a little while longer. <laughs> <That's all right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a sense of that, though. And I was thinking about it today, and I think social media is a big thing as well. Hmm. Um, as, a, as a writer, you follow other writers and um, particularly as a mum, you go on and you see these mums with kids that are getting up at 4am to write and, you know, they're reading classics while their kids do craft with homemade Play-Doh and just <laughs> feel like such an underachiever. <laughs> uh, you sort of think, yeah, one of these days people are going to find out I'm not that smart or that cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, the... the uh... I've taught you enough to know that you're both smart and cool. So for what that's worth, I don't know if that's how helpful that is. But uh, Well, okay. <laughs> so uh, your most recent book, Choosing Love, is is a book for uh, teenage girls. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, teenage girls are girls even in their early 20s. And uh-huh. um, just sort of dealing with the whole idea of relationships, that sort of age group. Mm-hmm. Or dealing with the initial stages of relationships, should I say? <laughs> Definitely a lifelong journey. <laughs> yeah, right. So you have you have daughters. Uh, are they are they both teenagers? They younger than that? Yeah, yeah. Both? I have two teenage girls. Two teenage girls. Um, who I wanted to have these conversations with, so I basically tricked them by writing a book that they were then forced to read. So oh, nice, good job! <laughs> it's a great, great way to have that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to ask you, how do you get your uh, kids to read read your books? I never had any success with that, but well. Uh, <laughs> Because it was a book for teenage girls, um, as I went through it, they read each chapter and gave me feedback on it. And then it's designed to be sort of read for mothers and daughters or even friends together so that they can read a short chapter and then chat about the discussion questions at the end. So I asked them for their help to do that. So actually, they turned out to be great editors, which Uh was a discovery. Um, But it meant I actually got to talk about the subject matter with them as well, which was great. It was really good. Oh, that's great. So, where did this book come from? How did you how did you decide this was a book you needed to write? Basically, because of my own girls. Um, as a teenage girl, I was pretty terrified of teenage girls, so it's not something that I ever thought I would be doing. They're just a terrifying group of people. Um, but I am so sick of the lies that teenagers are being peddled when it comes to relationships and sexuality. And I just wanted to have this conversation with them. I feel like we've bought into this idea that like the ultimate goal of love is me feeling happy and me mm. being satisfied. Um, and it, you're married, you know, marriage can be wonderful and satisfying, but also really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes love's about making the hard choice to put the other person first, even when you don't feel like it. Um, mm. It's that whole intentionality thing again, mm-hmm. um, but it leads to something that's deeper and more real. And I just wanted to have those conversations with them. The whole idea, the whole biblical idea of covenant as well, that's so central to the story of the Bible, but also to marriage and love. It's so rich and so beautiful. And 
I think sometimes as Christians, we can be guilty of saying we don't do this and we don't do that because mm-hmm. we're Christians rather than, hey, look at this. This is beautiful and it's rich and it's deep and it's something worth fighting for. And that's what yeah. I wanted them to know. Oh, that's great. I also wanted them to know that being satisfied in God is the starting point because I think there's a danger if you try to get your satisfaction from someone else, you're placing a burden on them that they were never meant to carry. Yeah. Um, and so we need to be satisfied in God first and then love someone else out of the overflow of that. So I guess those are just the things I wanted them to know. And I figured if they were the only ones that ever read it, I would lose nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. As as you, you talk about this and, and your goals, really what you're doing is, is in one sense, what, what we're always doing when we sit down to write. And that's, that's trying to tell a truer story than the one the world is telling. I think that's one of the I mean that kind of is the the great the great gift of of the writer is not escapism but rather hey let me tell you something that's truer than what you than what you thought. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In in writing this book you're you're giving your girls and and others you know beyond your girls the um this I mean really a reality check. You know here's here's what's ultimately true. Here here's what's you know it in for all the stories that you hear floating around, here's a here's a truer story. Yeah, I guess that idea of there being an ultimate truth isn't very popular now. Um, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. And actually, it's the only way to counter those feelings. I have nothing to say because yeah. it makes me realize that actually in myself, I don't have anything to say. <laughs> yeah. That it has to come from beyond me to have any meaning at all. Otherwise, it's just me giving you the thoughts in my mind, which isn't going to help anybody. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's I, I love that. I, I love this idea that that the writer's job is to look out, work outward, and not mm-hmm. so much looking inward. I mean, obviously, looking inward is is a part of the process, but but I don't think most you know most writers don't have the problem of not looking inward enough, right? You know? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I mean, if if I knew a writer who who never looked within, I would say, hey, you need to be a little more introspective. I just don't know any any people who are insufficiently intro- introspective yeah. who end up writing, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, I've been, a few years ago, I wrote a piece for The Rabbit Room on Psalm 73. Um, and I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a passage of scripture that you just can't get out of again. Um, it's been just stuck with me ever since. It's the whole idea of the psalm is that at the start, the psalmist is looking out at the world around him and he just feels like his feet are slipping. He's losing his grip on what's true uh-huh. and he wants to believe God's real, but uh-huh. the world seems to be totally out of control. And then there's this beautiful turning point in the middle where he comes into the presence of God and suddenly he sees what is real. And I love that his circumstances don't change at all and the mm. circumstances of the world around him don't change, but his perspective changes completely when yeah. he comes to God and allows him to show him what's real. Oh, that's great. And again, I mean, that's that's the the gift. That's that's one of the main gifts a writer offers to the world is saying, hey, look at, look at this. Yeah, and we can't do that ourselves. You can only do that when you're anchored in what is actually true. And mm-hmm. actually, if my brain can grasp truth in its entirety, then that would make truth pretty small. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't be encouraging at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just kind of ba- uh, vaguely remembering a conversation we had at one point, um, and I'm hoping you can you can remember enough to sort of pick up from this point. Um, I remember you, you talking about the... The job, your job as a writer or as a communicator, is to really commit to what's true, and, and not wouldn't it not wouldn't it be cool if this were true, mm. but rather, you know, being grounded in, in what really is true and real that 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 I didn't invent. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's so true. You can become so caught up in even the beauty of the telling. I think there's a Lewis quote about um, any writer that can get so caught up with the beauty of the telling that they lose sight of the truth of what they're actually trying to say. That is not what he said, but that's a paraphrase. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Something that, you know, that idea that you're so busy trying to make things beautiful um, that you lose sight of what it is you're actually trying to say and mm-hmm. the beauty of truth itself. Um, I think I, I think I shared the, the Lewis quote that says, no one who bothers about originality will ever be original. Oh, yeah. Whereas if you try to tell the truth, Without tell, without caring two pence how it often how often it's been told before you will nine times out of ten become original without ever having noticed it, uh, and I, I love that the way to be original is not to strive for originality at all. <laughs> yeah, um, have have you found that to be true? I mean, have, have you... yeah. Well, I, I find that if I stick to particularly for me, I, I tend to write out of the overflow of what I've studied in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I sit down, which actually has become paralyzing for me of trying to think, like, what can I write that's really interesting? Mm-hmm. I, I do just become absolutely paralyzed, and I, I can't, yeah. like, I can't think of anything interesting to write. Whereas if I'm, if I find something that just grips me in the Bible and start to write about it, and I think that people have heard this a hundred times before, those are the things that people say, "Oh, I've, ne- I've never really noticed that before. That's so helpful." Yeah. <laughs> you think really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I thought that was really just standard, so yeah, <laughs> which turns out it wasn't coming from me at all. Yeah, right. <laughs> Keep saying it, but don't really believe it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, this this may sound, I, I don't know how this is going to sound, but, but, you know, when you communicate with Americans, you know, Americans uh, l- love hearing, you know, your... Irish accent. It's it's it sounds so great. It's, I could it, just read a nursery rhyme and people would be oh wonderful, I, wonderful. Yeah, right. I know. It's it's it's. I, I I feel like there's I feel like there's some metaphor at work here. You have you're a special case because you you know you speak in an accent that's different from mine, and so you sound when you speak in your voice it it sounds original to me, sounds interesting to me. Um, but there's something about that. That's true for all of us, whether we speak with, you know, whether we're from Northern Ireland or not, you know, Um, when we speak in our own voice, um, I mean, it's just what Lewis said, when we when we tell the truth in our own voice, according to, to, to you know, bear witness to what we've seen, the fact that we've Mm -hmm. seen my combination of things I've seen, I've seen is is unique to me. If I just tell the truth about what I've seen, I, I can trust originality to take care of itself. Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, I was laughing about that the other day. Someone said to me that um, when they read my book that they could hear it in my voice. And I think they were trying to be funny. And I got so excited, I almost texted you. I was like, Jonathan Rogers would be so proud. <laughs> oh, great. Um, well, and now now people are going to be able to hear the uh, your book in your voice because yeah. you're do- you've done the audio book. That might not be so good. <laughs> uh, no, that's exciting that you're that you're doing an audio book. Did you learn anything yeah, about your writing from from recording an audiobook? Um, to be honest, I quite often read aloud what I've written anyway. Because um, you love you love your own voice too. I, I take it. Yeah, I guess, right? yeah, I do. No, do you know it came from a strange place. My grandmother was pretty much blind, um, and so when I wrote something, she always wanted to hear it, and oh, so wow. I always read it to her. Oh, that's great. And so I got into the habit of reading it out loud. And so often when I read it out loud, a sentence that I thought worked when I read it out loud didn't work at all. Yeah. Um, so it's a habit I've kind of developed now. Um, it's a great of doing habit. Doing that just so that it does flow. 
Yeah. Um, are you uh, are you a native of Belfast? Yes, I am. Um, this is also C.S. Lewis's hometown, right? It, it, it is absolutely yes. He grew up about ten miles from where I live. Um, but he he lost his accent, right? Yeah, he did. <laughs> it became very English. Yeah. Um, do you see anything about his life and work that that you say, "Aha, I I see a a bell, I see Belfast there." Um, geographically, lots of the stuff that you read in the Narnia stories is very, you can see it in our landscape. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of the sort of focal points you say, yeah, that's definitely where he got that from. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not sure. Other than that, that's quite a deep question to think on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> There's always some little curveball comes in. <laughs> uh, well, um was was Belfast uh did it was it a place of of trouble and strife in his when he was growing up there the way it was um, later no probably no cuz he would only have been here he was only here till he was about 9 or 10 uh-huh. and then he would have come home to visit but that was pre that would have been way before um uh-huh. the troubles and everything uh-huh so he would have been well in england by that stage i see so you're uh, you've got a lot going on in your life besides writing, um, and you've mentioned that you um, you aren't always regular in your habits for uh, for writing, but you know because you put things off. Um, <laughs> con- consider yourself scolded. Um, I feel very scolded. <laughs> um, but uh, what can you tell us about the habits that you do have? Or maybe when you are being productive, what do those habits look like? Um, it's something I've been thinking a lot about recently, actually. I think particularly in the light of last year, I guess one of my big habits would be that I kind of, if there's something in my mind that I want to write, I sit down and write it. But if there's nothing in my mind that I'm thinking that needs to be written, then I don't. Um and I was having a bit of a mental blank whenever I had that deadline to meet. And yet when I sat down, I did get there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I've heard you say so many times about just sitting down. Yeah. Uh, but I, th- I think there's some there's a tendency to think there's so much to be done in life. You know, there's so many things that I need to attend to that if I just sit at my desk for an hour, I could use that time so much more productively. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, actually, I, I speak quite a lot about studying the Bible and um, sort of helping people to learn to study the Bible. And one of the things that I'm always saying is the discipline of studying the Bible has to be intentional because if you wait to feel like studying, it's never going to happen. Yeah. But if you intentionally choose to show up, then you get these incredible moments when God meets you there. Mm-hmm. And yet, I haven't been applying that same thing to writing, <laughs> if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, and so I do, I am intending to sort of put disciplines in place this incoming year and see what happens. Maybe we should be doing this podcast again in a year to see what happens if I'm intentional for a year. <laughs> Maybe it's going to yeah. be my most productive year yeah, ever. Yeah, I was about to say, you, you might, you may have written War and Peace by then. <laughs> but I I, I know it is a feeling and um, yeah it's one of those things that you kind of have to ask yourself am I just going to write when something comes into my mind or is this something I want to do Mm -hmm. you know intentionally and continually you use the word failing that's a that's a lot of moral baggage in the word (laughs) failing Um, do you view it in those terms as as a moral as a truly as a failing Oh, goodness. 
Yeah, I suppose I do. I've never really thought about it in those terms, but I suppose there is an aspect of feeling if this is what God's called me to do and I'm not doing it, then yeah, I guess there is an aspect of struggling with that. I was just reading Andrew Peterson's Adorning the Dark, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you've read the um, like the acknowledgements at the start, uh, and he talks about Jamie and how Jamie's art is their family, and I was just so encouraged, you yeah. know, as a wife and mom by that, because, yeah. I mean, you know Jamie, it's so true, mm-hmm. but... As for me, that was so encouraging as well. Like my only art isn't writing. That That's my right. art as well is my kids and my home and hospitality. And so I'm not failing in everything. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I, I think that's a, I think that is a, a really important uh, thing to bear in mind. That e- even if even if writing is is part of your calling, it's it's not the whole of anybody's calling. Yeah, it's it's part of a larger life. And um, um, you know, Stephen King talks about putting your desk in the corner. You know, to remind yourself that that your life's not here to support art. It's yeah, you know, art is there to support your life. Yeah, and it's easy to put a lot of pressure on yourself too. Um, I keep trying to remind myself that God doesn't love me because I write. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. write because he loves me and, mm-hmm. you know, he's not going to be disappointed in me if I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yet when you when you actually sit down and and, uh, and write, it feels like you're participating in, in some yeah. joyful thing, you know? Yeah, it's not that I lose something, but I, I miss out on something that I wouldn't have if I didn't take the time to show up and be present. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad we've sorted this out, Heidi. (laughs) Heidi's a failure, but she's going to do better next year. (laughs) (laughs) No, but but I'm glad we've worked through from from failure to the the language of failure to the language of of joy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And and so you know if you if you think in terms of this is my calling and I'm not doing it so I'm failing, um, there's a there's a limit to how helpful that can be. Whereas yeah. if this is if this is part of my calling and I step into it, then I've got there's some joy to be had there that I don't yeah. want to miss out on. And I guess if it's your calling and you step into it and nothing great happens, well, you've still done it. <laughs> so, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> in that sense, that you've succeeded if you've done what God asked you to do, whatever happens. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's the the uh, basically s- sowing seeds is our job. The the harvest yeah. isn't our business. Yeah. That's another wise word from my granny. She used to say, God said, well done, good and faithful servant, not well done, good and successful servant. Oh, wow. <laughs> I always like that. <laughs> yeah. Same granny that you read to? Yep, yep. She had wow. a big influence. <laughs> That's great. Um, any any other words of wisdom from your grandmother that you can uh, share with us? Oh, not off the top of my head. Okay, she was a right. very wise woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So I... Uh, I always end these interviews with the question, who are, who are the writers who make you want to write? The writers who make me want to write. Um, it, it's very cliched, but I have to say that the C.S. Lewis has been my mm-hmm. big, big influence. Um, I just I just love his, I love how, he, I don't want to say simple, but so profound and yet so simple the way he writes. Yeah. I, I just... I just love it. And, and I love how his fiction is so informed by what he understands of the Bible as well. Yeah. Um, it's just, I just love it. Not, you know, not necessarily overtly, but just just so informed by those themes of truth. 
Yeah. What are yeah. your um, What are your favorite C.S. Lewis books? <laughs> All of them. All of yeah, right. So fiction, just, nonfiction. You know, yeah, well, I've just been rereading the Narnia Chronicles, which I hadn't read for years and years and years. And yeah. actually, as an older person, they became more rich rather than less so, which uh-huh. I think is just great. Absolutely yeah. great. Sitting sobbing my heart out and the girls going, what's the matter? <laughs> Nothing, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about his, uh, d- um, oh shoot, what's the one that retells um, Cupid and Psyche? Um, do we oh, have faces? Um, yes, yes. Yeah, You're I like that, that one, one too. Yeah, it's okay. good. Yeah, I love it. There's a bit in that which gets me every single time about when, um, or what? You, oh my goodness, mental block. Oriel is yeah. kneeling by the river looking for the castle um, that Psyche is said to have been living in. Uh-huh. And just for, uh, and she doesn't believe it's there. And just for a moment, the fog lifts and she sees the castle in all its beauty. Um, and then it's gone. But the, that, glimpse is enough to change her entire perspective and i just love that image of even what god can do by just lifting the veil for a minute and giving us a glimpse of what's true um and that we maybe can't see it again after that but just that glimpse changes the way we see things that's great between screw tape and great divorce which one do you like better screw tape really Screw tape, yeah. I took my girls to see a stage production of it last year. Oh, and, that was fun. Oh, man, it was so good. It was so good. Yeah. All right, so C.S. Lewis, anybody else who, who you read them and think, I want to go sit down and write something now? Um, Actually, I've got really into Wendell Berry recently, which, again, yeah. is quite cliched, but um, we live in a small town, and yeah. my husband's lived here his entire life. Wow. Uh, and he pretty much... Um, you can't walk two feet without him meeting somebody that he knows. So yeah. I kind of feel like I live in Port William. Uh-huh. Um, and for a long time, I found that quite claustrophobic. But mm. since I've been reading that, it's really helped me to see what an incredible gift that is um, to live as part of a close-knit community like that, even if it does mean everybody knows what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's I've been thinking a lot about that and that whole idea of just writing about what's in front of you as well. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that truth. Um, that just giving a record of what's in front of you is is a was a worthy endeavor. I sat next to a little girl at a concert. It was it was like a school concert uh, or more of a recital where the where the kids would get up and do their various things. And she had a little notebook and she was just writing down everything that happened. And and so it'd be like you know she'd write. Um, uh, the boy stood up, but then he forgot his um, his guitar strap, so he went back to his seat and got it, but now he has it on, and he's about to play a song. And, and it was just so fun to watch her just, you know, be have this totally unselfconscious belief that just by writing down what I see in front of me, that's a worthy endeavor. And I that's thought, so great. That is so gorgeous. I just loved it. <laughs> And it's brilliant. And so she's going to, you know, three years from now, look back on it and think, oh, that was so dumb. But in 20 years, when she looks back, she's going to love that she has it, you know? Yeah, that's so great. Well, Heidi, it's always, as I've said before, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And that's good to talk. And so I hope we can talk again soon. Thanks for being on The Habit. Thank you. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio in the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. 
Special shout out as well to Jess Ray for letting us use her song Too Good as part of this podcast. Visit JessRayMusic.com to hear more of her beautiful songs. The Habit membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com and to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Thank you.